Due to the graphic nature of this episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode contains discussion of torture that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. South America in the 1970s was a crucible of conflict and upheaval. Since gaining independence from Spain in the 1800s, the various countries had been ruled by a group of bourgeois landowners. But after World War II, the citizens began to clamor for workers' and voters' rights. Many South Americans saw the Cuban Revolution of the 1950s, led by Fidel Castro and Che Guevara, as a template for their own destiny. The ideals of Marxism-Leninism took root. Left-wing workers and students battled conservative landowners and businesses. The continent teetered on the edge of anarchy, alarming their watchful neighbor to the north, the United States. The U.S. was already in the midst of its own global campaign to crush Marxism. Now fearing a communist takeover on their southern doorstep, the U.S. decided it needed to intervene. With both public and covert help from the U.S., South American generals staged violent coups, seizing power. But what resulted was something perhaps more devastating and oppressive than communism, military dictatorships. Welcome to Dictators, a ParCast original. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Dictators for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar. This season, we're traveling down to South America, where we'll explore the brutal military reigns of Jorge Rafael Videla of Argentina, Augusto Pinochet of Chile, and Alfredo Stressner of Paraguay. With the covert backing of the United States, these three dictators came to power through military coups. And once in control, they worked together to suppress Marxist revolutionaries in a deadly campaign of terror known as Operation Condor. Today we'll kick off this deep dive into the Southern Hemisphere with the rise to power of General Jorge Rafael Videla of Argentina. After 30 years as a military officer, Videla led a coup against the disastrous President Isabel Perón. He named himself president and waged a brutal war against political opponents and everyday citizens alike. Next week, we'll chronicle Videla's five years in power, including his sanctioning of torture, kidnapping, and murder of political dissidents. By the time Videla stepped down, close to 30,000 citizens were missing or dead. We'll examine General Videla's reign of terror right after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Jorge Rafael Videla is a name that few people around the world recognize. But in Argentina, he is synonymous with death, terror, and the desaparecidos, a term used by Argentines to describe the citizens who disappeared without a trace during his years in power. From 1976 to 1981, it's estimated that 30,000 people went missing, including students, union organizers, and political dissidents. These men and women are all presumed dead, and all at the hands of secret military units sanctioned by Videla. To achieve his goals, he employed concentration camps, black markets of stolen children, and murder. Videla said at one point, if the Argentine situation demands it, all necessary persons must die to achieve the security of the country. But he didn't do it alone. Videla's regime was part of a covert intelligence alliance with five other South American countries. Known as Operation Condor, these countries worked together to suppress any and all leftist political agitation. And it was all backed by the United States. But Videla didn't have ambitions to be a brutal dictator, nor even a political leader. Like the other South American dictators, he wanted to spend his career in the military. In the city of Mercedes, Argentina, Jorge Rafael Videla was born on August 2, 1925. He hailed from a family of well-respected military officers. His father was a decorated army colonel, and his great-great-grandfather fought against the British invaders in the early 1800s. In Argentina, the military had a proud lineage. They were credited with leading the country to independence from Spain. As a result, Army officers were seen as a respected class, not quite on the par with the nation's bourgeois landowners, but not far off. So it was in that proud tradition that Videla grew up, hoping to follow in his family's footsteps of discipline, honor, and protection of the country. That day finally came on March 3, 1942. 16-year-old Videla, accompanied by his father, arrived at the granite archway of Argentina's National Military Academy. Videla was intimidated by the sprawling school outside the nation's capital of Buenos Aires. And watching the muscular military cadets march by, Videla grew apprehensive. Despite being tall for his age, Videla was thin and reedy with a narrow face like a greyhound. He was probably the thinnest of the bunch. He wondered if he could just return to San Luis and become a businessman or a local government official. Videla's father sensed his son's unease. He grabbed him by his bony shoulders and assured him that there is more to being a soldier than brawn and muscles. The military, 
the country, needed men with brains and cunning. They needed him. Videlis stood up straight. His father was right. Armed with that advice, he crossed through the granite archway, ready to serve Argentina. Just two years later, in 1944, Videla graduated near the top of his class. Though more for his intelligence than his ability to carry heavy packs on the obstacle course. Straight out of the academy, he went to work in the infantry as a junior officer. Once there, he distinguished himself as a professionalist, a career military man committed to the security of his country. He quickly learned that regardless of the political party in power, it was up to the military to protect the people. In the early 1960s, Videla returned to his alma mater, the National Military Academy, and found his calling as an instructor. He loved teaching. He could fulfill his mission of protecting his country by training future generations of soldiers. For nearly a decade, he excelled in education, and it didn't go unnoticed. After some time, the military leadership promoted him to director of the academy. Just like his father had assured him years before, his cunning and intellect had taken him far in the army. And every day, he was proving himself valuable to his country. In the summer of 1964, Videla was selected to attend the U.S. Army's School of the Americas in Panama. The School of the Americas was an elite military training ground run by the Pentagon, with occasional assistance from the CIA. There, Videla and other military leaders from South America learned U.S. military tactics and counterinsurgency strategies with the goal of fighting communist guerrillas. But perhaps most importantly, they received a crash course in the U.S.'s intelligence and espionage techniques, including torture and interrogation tactics from the CIA. These techniques laid the foundation for Argentina and its neighboring country's own national spy agencies in the 1960s and 70s. For Videla, the education at the School of Americas was valuable, but he didn't subscribe to the anti-communist politics of the program. To him, the military was independent. It defended the country against all enemies, foreign and domestic, communist and conservative. Argentina had plenty of Marxist-Leninist revolutionaries, but there was also terrorism from ultranational anti-communist forces as well. Whoever presented the gravest threat was who Videla would call his enemy, if and when the time came to take up arms. In the meantime, Videla returned to the National Military Academy to continue teaching. There he remained an independent professionalist as he had always intended. He taught his students duty and honor and avoided taking sides in the war between right-wing and left-wing politics. For the 39-year-old Videla, he was content to finish out his military career in the relative peace and quiet of the academy. Unfortunately, during the late 1960s, Argentina was far from peace. Like many South American countries, Marxism suddenly swept through the country. Discontented workers organized unions and clamored for benefits, and radical revolutionary groups turned to kidnappings, bombings, and assassinations. Throughout Argentina's history, the country had always turned to the military to restore order, usually in the form of military coups. 
These coups were often bloody and hard fought, but Argentines came to rely on them as a periodic reset switch for their dysfunctional government. During the 1960s alone, Videla witnessed two such coups. And in both cases, they involved one of the most famous and polarizing names in Argentine politics, Juan Perón. Juan Perón had come to power in the 1940s by popularizing workers' rights. But he was a controversial figure. He granted amnesty to Nazi war criminals, and he imprisoned anyone who criticized him for it. In 1955, Perón was deposed and sent into exile in Spain, but he continued to meddle in Argentina's politics. In 1962, he orchestrated the election of a puppet president. A military coup quickly intervened and banned Perón's candidates from running for election. But that policy caused its own conflicts, and another coup occurred in 1966. Then, in 1973, Perón returned to Argentina with the help of a new puppet administration. And after secretly courting the support of both far-right and far-left insurgents, he regained the presidency. Back in power, he undertook a brutal regime that encouraged violence from his supporters on both the right and the left. This led to a confusing and violent period in Argentina. Bombings and assassinations were regularly carried out by both factions. While death was literally everywhere, only one truly rocked the country, and it didn't come from an assassin's bullet. On July 1st, 1974, Perón died suddenly of a heart attack. This left the presidency to his third wife, Isabel, a former burlesque dancer who served as both first lady and vice president. President Isabel Perón inherited the disarray of her husband's regime, and she only succeeded in bringing it closer to civil war. Considered by many to be an unfit leader, she seemed to care more about fashion and tarot cards than the welfare of Argentines. One of her main advisors, a man named José López Rega, was obsessed with the occult and also allegedly controlled an anti-communist death squad called the Triple A. On Rega's advice, Perón ordered the military to be purged of any anti-Peronists. Throughout his career, Videla had remained politically neutral, including during Juan Perón's power grabs. So he assumed he was safe. He knew it was unwise to choose sides. As soon as the other side came to power, which seemed historically inevitable, the other party was pushed out or killed. But on July 16, 1975, Videla arrived at the military academy and learned the shocking news. Isabel Perón was casting him out of the army. Videla learned from his colleagues that it was retaliation for an investigation Videla had been assigned years before. As part of an army tribunal, he had investigated Rega's AAA death squad, one of Videla's few seemingly partisan actions. Videla, who was normally an even-tempered man, exploded. The army was his home. He dedicated his life to it. And now he was being unceremoniously cut loose after 30 years of service. But he tried to look on the bright side. At least he wasn't killed like many people he knew. He would move his wife and seven children back to his home province of San Luis. 
Maybe he would run for local politics like his grandfather. But a month later, in August 1975, Videla received an unexpected phone call. His presence was demanded at the Casa Rosada, the home and office of the president. When Videla arrived the next day, Isabel asked him to become the commander-in-chief of the Argentine Armed Forces. Videla was shocked. It was a huge honor, nearly equivalent to a cabinet position. But barely a month earlier, Isabel had wanted him banished from the military. Why the sudden change of heart? She tried to explain that it was simply a misunderstanding. But Videla discovered later that she had been pressured by other military heavyweights who respected him as a career soldier. While Isabel spoke, Videla took note of her erratic behavior and refusal to take off her stylish, oversized sunglasses. He had heard rumors about her cocaine use and wondered if she was hiding red, nervous eyes. Videla weighed his options. He could walk away and risk being killed by a vengeful president anyway. Or he could become Perón's commander-in-chief, where he might be able to make a difference and defend his country from this madwoman. Either way, it was a risk. Videla knew that by accepting the position, he would forever be branded a Peronist. As soon as the next government took over, he would be purged, probably killed. But as a soldier, he had always accepted the risk of death. Now he was putting it on the line once again in defense of his country. And as his father had advised him before, his country needed him. After a moment, Videla shook Perón's hand and accepted her offer. And with that, Videla stepped into the center stage of national politics for the first time. It was a choice that would shape his country's history more than he could possibly imagine. Coming up, General Videla struggles to remain neutral under Isabel Perón. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now back to the story. In August 1975, 50-year-old General Jorge Rafael Videla became Argentina's commander-in-chief of the armed forces. It was a departure for Videla, the first time that he had allied himself directly with a president or a political party. But it was for good reason. Even though the country had been in trouble for many years, now under Isabel Perón, Argentina was in the midst of a full-blown crisis. The country's politics bordered on anarchy. 
On one side, Marxist-Leninist guerrilla forces frequently stage strikes, kidnappings, and bombings. And on the opposite side, state-sanctioned anti-communist death squads roamed the country, killing demonstrators, politicians, and labor leaders. In the first year of Isabel's presidency, there had been 503 political assassinations. Meanwhile, years of the Perón's pro-worker regime had driven away companies in manufacturing, leaving Argentina's economy in shambles. There was rampant unemployment. People were starving. Oil prices tripled. Inflation was estimated to be 1,000%. But instead of leading the country out of this morass, Isabel isolated herself in the Casa Rosada. She claimed that she was too ill to meet with political leaders. Cabinet members became so exhausted that some resigned while others fled the country. The rapid breakdown in Argentina especially concerned the United States. With Perón vulnerable, the last thing they wanted was a communist takeover. So they began actively discussing who would succeed her. In September 1975, U.S. Ambassador Robert C. Hill telegrammed Washington, writing, There is a power vacuum at the center, and it is not Perón who will fill it. Hence, whether she remains a figurehead president for yet some time, or whether a new government takes over from her, Mrs. Perón is no longer at the center of the equation. One of the individuals the United States saw at the center of that equation was Videla, They didn't outwardly support him yet, but he seemed like a safe, moderate leader. Whether the United States realized it at the time or not, Videla was one step ahead of them. He was already plotting to undermine Isabel. To Videla, his life and military career had led him to this point. He and Argentina had one enemy, Isabel Perón, a cancer festering in the Casa Rosada. Seizing power from her would be a delicate mission and would require a coalition from the other branches of the military. He just needed to find a way to garner support from the Navy and Air Force. Videla wasn't the most charismatic of leaders, but he did put people at ease. He had learned that skill 30 years earlier at the military academy. He was able to disarm the larger, stronger cadets by making them smile and becoming friends. The same tactic worked with government leaders and the press. Robert Cox, editor of the Buenos Aires Herald, described meeting Videla for the first time and coming away, quote, with the image of a friend, not only my friend, but a friend of the Argentinian people. I remember when we left commenting that Videla appeared to be a marvelous fellow. So, Videla used his status as a marvelous fellow to camouflage his first power moves inside Isabel Perón's government. He knew that if he could squash the revolutionary violence around the country, it would garner a lot of political capital. The question was where to start. Videla understood that the left and right-wing factions of the country were equally dangerous. But... The left-wing communist forces, like the People's Revolutionary Army, or ERP, were most visible. If he could extinguish their daily bombings and demonstrations, it'd be easier to get the ultra-conservative forces under control, too. 
As an experienced army commander, Videla knew that traditional face-to-face -face warfare wouldn't work against revolutionary guerrillas. So he employed the counterinsurgency training that he had learned from the U.S. military and CIA. One of the most important lessons was the value of shared intelligence. He needed allies. And South America was full of them. On November 25, 1975, military officials from Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay met secretly in Santiago de Chile. They were all facing problems with left-wing insurgents, and they agreed to work together to stamp them out. Operation Condor was officially born. And with the help of intelligence provided by the CIA, violently suppressing these leftist agitators was easier than expected. Less than a month later, Videla used intel from Condor to plot his strike against the ERP. December 23, 1975, Videla instructed the army base of Monte Chingolo, outside of Buenos Aires, to prepare for a top-secret mission. Monte Chingolo was a strategic arms depot for the army, making it a frequent target for the ERP. With Christmas just a couple days away, Videla ordered the base commander to give some of his guards the night off. As a result, the base appeared lightly defended, which was an irresistible temptation for the ERP. That night, just as Videla predicted, the revolutionaries arrived in several trucks, planning to break in and steal the army's weapons and ammunition. They breached the gate with very little struggle. It seemed like all the soldiers at Monte Chingolo were either asleep or on Christmas vacation. But once they were inside the base, the shooting started. Soldiers appeared out of nowhere, lying in wait. And just outside the base, Army and Federal police reinforcements arrived and cut off the guerrillas' escape. It was a bloody massacre. The ERP lost nearly 60 men and women. The Army and police lost only seven. It was a major success for Videla and for Operation Condor. And that was only the beginning. Over the next months, Videla expanded his counterinsurgency operations against the ERP and other Marxist-Leninist forces throughout the country. In the northern regions, the army fought the revolutionaries in what many referred to as Argentina's Vietnam War. Throughout these military campaigns, Videla expanded the reach of the Operation Condor Alliance. He used the extensive network of surveillance and informants to fight his own insurgents, as well as help the other countries with theirs. Videla's commitment to Condor also gained him credibility with the United States and the CIA. Under Videla's supervision, Condor also worked behind the scenes in dark, shadowy corners. One such shadowy corner was an abandoned automobile engine factory on the outskirts of Buenos Aires called Automotores Orletti. Starting in early 1976, many captured and suspected ERP revolutionaries were taken to the factory for interrogation. Amongst scattered car parts and tools, men and women were beaten, tortured, and imprisoned. Some were hooked up to car batteries and had electrified probes inserted into their bodies. Others were hung from pulleys and lowered headfirst into tanks of water. 
The officers in charge kept some of the machinery and engines running to drown out the screams. Only about 10% of the detainees who were brought to Automatoris Orleti survived. Argentine revolutionaries weren't the only ones who were tortured or killed at Orleti. Citizens from Chile, Uruguay, Bolivia, and Cuba were secretly transported there and never seen again. In time, the Orleti facility became the de facto Argentine headquarters of Operation Condor. Operatives from Chile and Uruguay were given free reign to torture whoever they wanted. Videla justified the torture by saying, all necessary persons must die to achieve the security of the country. To Videla, he was fighting a war, and the enemy just happened to be a faction of his country's own citizens. But soon, that enemy decided to target him directly. In late March 1976, Videla was en route to a meeting at a Buenos Aires military supplier. Right before he arrived, a bomb exploded in the building's parking lot. If Videla's transport hadn't been delayed in traffic, he would have faced certain death. Operation Condor Intelligence suggested the bomb was retribution from the ERP for the Monte Chingolo massacre. As a result, Videla became even more hardened in his desire to get rid of the ERP. It became easier for him to put aside his anti-interventionist beliefs. And the more he thought about it, the more he blamed Isabel Perón and her dead husband for the anarchy plaguing the country. They had secretly supported these revolutionaries in exchange for their votes to win back the presidency. Now Videla knew the fear that the rest of the country lived in for so long, constantly wondering if they would die in a bomb blast. In order to stop the violence, he would need to cut off the snake at the head, which meant he would have to do the unthinkable. Overthrow President Isabel Perón. Coming up, the coup of 1976. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, back to the story. In the early months of 1976, Argentina was in disarray. President Isabel Perón's ineptitude was causing massive damage to the economy and social structure. The country's inflation hovered near 300%. There were terrorist bombings nearly every day. Political activists were assassinated almost weekly. For 50-year-old General Jorge Rafael Videla, 
the only way to save Argentina from the chaos was to follow in the country's long tradition of military coups. That spring, Videla met with his fellow heads of the military, Navy Admiral Emilio Macera and Air Force Commanding General Orlando Agosti. The men worked on a plan to seize control of the government and institute sweeping reforms that would fix the mismanagement of the Perones. But having witnessed so many ineffective and failed coups, Videla, Macera, and Agosti knew not to rush into it. They wanted to avoid the mistakes of the past, like allowing the deposed Isabel to escape the country and meddle in Argentine politics from afar. Nor would they seize control only to turn over power to an ill-prepared civilian government. No, if Videla and his co-conspirators were going to initiate a coup, they were going to do it right. And that meant remaining in power until the country was fixed, no matter how long it took. With all three men on board, Macera and Agosti nominated Videla to deliver an ultimatum to President Isabel Perón. The evening of March 23, 1976, was a clear and cloudless night in Buenos Aires. But storm clouds of a different sort were on the horizon. Videla, Macera, and Agosti were going to put their plan into action. Phase one centered on removing Perón from power. Videla didn't want any bloodshed at Casa Rosada, so earlier in the day, he had given Perón an ultimatum. Leave peacefully or die in a siege. The deadline was at midnight, just a couple of hours away. Videla and his allies had assumed she would take the bloodless option right away. But after a few hours, she hadn't left yet. Then, at exactly midnight, Videla received word. Two identical helicopters had taken off from the roof of Casa Rosada, and a presidential sedan had departed from the driveway. The army tracked all three vehicles. The sedan was pulled over a short distance from the Casa Rosada, only to find an Isabel Perón impersonator. When the first helicopter landed at a nearby airport, they found the same, a Perón look-alike. But when the second helicopter was forced to land, Isabel Perón herself was discovered, wearing her trademark oversized sunglasses and an expensive fur coat. After being informed that she was under arrest, her only response was that she didn't have the right clothes. With phase one complete, Videla and his allies turned to phase two, seizing control of the government. With a simple written resolution, Congress and the presidential cabinet were dissolved. Any remaining Perón supporters were fired from the military and intelligence services. Videla alone would choose the next president of Argentina. On to phase three, notifying the public. During the night, Videla and his allies secured control of all the national newspapers as well as radio and TV stations. At 3.20 in the morning on March 24th, the national radio station crackled to life. An announcer read the following statement. The citizens of Argentina are hereby informed that the country is under the operational control of the Board of General Commanders of the Armed Forces. All inhabitants are recommended to strictly abide by the provisions and directives emanating from the military, security, or police authority. He then informed the citizens that the orders were signed by Videla, Macera, and Agosti. 
The coup was complete. It had taken three hours and 20 minutes, and they hadn't spilled a drop of blood. The United States was as shocked as anyone. A few days after the coup, U.S. Ambassador Robert Hill cabled Washington, this was probably the best executed and most civilized coup in Argentine history. Argentina's best interests, like ours, lie in the success of the moderate government now led by General Videla. But the U.S.'s interests in Argentina were deeper and more complicated than wanting simply a moderate government. Ultimately, their goal was to eradicate communism at home and around the world. Argentina was a strategic ally in that fight because it protected the southern flank of the American continents. Publicly, the U.S. had to condemn Videla's acts of violence and torture. But secretly, they supported the coup wholeheartedly. So, with that unofficial support, Videla arrived at Casa Rosada on March 29th to assume control of Argentina. Heading into the ornate pink building, Videla recalled his Argentine history lessons. All the dramatic, often violent exchanges of power that had happened within its walls. It had always felt like a distant, foreign place to him. Today, however, was different. Videla led his co-conspirators Macera and Agosti into the main hall of the Casa Rosada. It was full of news cameras, reporters, government officials, and dignitaries. Videla fidgeted nervously as he addressed the crowd and the citizens watching on TV. He announced that he and the other members of the junta had taken control of the government on behalf of the people. He spoke passionately about returning Argentina to its previous glory and achieving peace in the cities and countryside. Argentines would return to work and be able to put food on their families' tables. For the first time in years, a majority of citizens felt relief and hope. As Videla concluded his remarks, people cheered for him, this unassuming soldier who everyone seemed to trust and respect. He reminded them of an uncle, a next-door neighbor, the opposite of the maniacal cult-like leaders of the past. But then, Videla announced that he was appointing himself as president of Argentina indefinitely. As he spoke, military forces around the country were starting to round up students, journalists, union leaders, and anyone suspected of Marxist sympathies. Just a few miles away from the Casa Rosada, prisoners were being tortured at the automobile factory with the sound of engines drowning out their screams. Voices of protesters would also be silenced as political demonstrations were banned and the Constitution was suspended. And that was only the beginning of the death and destruction that would become synonymous with the name Videla. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll chronicle Videla's five years in power, including his sanctioning of torture, kidnapping, and murder of dissidents. By the time Videla's reign of terror was over, close to 30,000 citizens were missing or dead. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. 
Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Dictators for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dictators on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Dictators was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Dictators was written by Adam De Silva, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Richard Rossner and Kate Leonard. Mm-hmm.